This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Toyota loosens its grip on a key supplier. Prices are up on a popular pickup. And Tesla wins a key ruling against labor organizers. Plus, Nikola's CEO, Steve Gursky, lays out the immediate future for zero emission semis. With the voucher program in California, we have 96% of all the vouchers for fuel cell trucks and 50% of the vouchers for battery trucks. So there's certainly demand for what we do, and uh, we're excited to be on the front end of it. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Toyota Group companies plan to trim their holdings in supplier Denso by selling about 10% of the company by year end in a share sale likely worth around $4.7 billion, two people familiar with the matter told Reuters. Toyota's portion will represent almost half of the roughly 10%, with the total sale seen at about 700 billion yen at current market prices, according to the sources. Denso, one of Toyota's key suppliers, is the world's second largest auto parts producer, according to Automotive News Research. Toyota, which held about 24.2% of Denso as of the end of September, is expected to remain the top shareholder in the company after the sale. According to Bloomberg News, the Toyota group of companies owns a combined 33.6%. Denso shares fell 4.9% in Tokyo, which Bloomberg said was the biggest loss since September of last year. In product news, the redesigned Toyota Tacoma for the 2024 model year will have a more efficient powertrain, improved seating position, and an array of new technologies. It will also have higher sticker prices. MSRP on the base model SR jumps by $2,900, nearly 10%, to $32,995, and the starting price of the limited double cab 4x4 leaps about 17% from the 2023 model to $53,595. Those prices include shipping. Pricing for two top trim levels, the hybrid-powered Trailhunter and TRD Pro models won't be available until spring, Toyota said. With almost 180,000 U.S. sales through three quarters this year, Toyota is the clear leader in the midsize pickup segment, accounting for more than 43% of the market, according to the Automotive News Research and Data Center. That midsize pickup segment is about to get a little more competitive. America's newest brand, Ineos Automotive, has started production of its second model, a pickup called the Grenadier Quartermaster. The Grenadier Quartermaster is largely based on the rugged Grenadier SUV, which the brand sometimes refers to as a station wagon. The Quartermaster, however, has about a foot longer wheelbase. U.S. pre-orders will begin in early 2024, an Ineos spokesperson said. Pricing has not been released. 
The Grenadier SUV starts at $73,100 in the U.S., including shipping. Both vehicles are assembled at the company's plant in Hambach, France. Ineos Automotive, a unit of the British chemical giant, is just now beginning U.S. deliveries of the Grenadier. And a U.S. labor board has dismissed claims that Tesla illegally fired employees to stymie union organizing. A National Labor Relations Board regional official on Friday tossed out a complaint filed in February by Workers United, a union seeking to organize Tesla's facility in Buffalo, New York. Workers United claimed that within days of announcing a union campaign earlier this year, Tesla fired dozens of workers from its autopilot department. Tesla has said the firings were based on performance reviews and not tied to union activity. The labor board official, however, found merit to two separate claims that Tesla maintained an unlawful rule on the acceptable use of technology in the workplace and that it solicited grievances from workers in an attempt to thwart support for the union, said an NLRB spokeswoman. If Tesla does not settle those claims, the board will issue a complaint against the company that will be heard by an administrative judge, she said. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, is Tesla's plan to sell some of their Denzel holdings part of a restructuring? Maybe not a full-blown restructuring, but uh, it's, it's definitely interesting. It looks maybe a little more like some profit-taking. Denso shares were up, at least before this news broke. Uh, so there was some profit to be had there. Also, you know, Toyota's getting a lot more serious about investing in EVs. An extra $5 billion could go a long way. That makes sense. Coming up, Nikola CEO Steve Gursky talks about the company's efforts to decarbonize long-haul trucking. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lien. 
Gomoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit gomoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Steve Gursky is a former Wall Street analyst, a General Motors executive and board member, and an independent advisor. Now, he's CEO of Nikola. The truck maker with a troubled history is trying to get rolling with the production and sale of zero-emission semi-trucks, electric drive big rigs powered either by batteries or by hydrogen fuel cells. At this month's Los Angeles Auto Show, he discussed how the company will address the market, especially while infrastructure is limited, with our own Jerry Hirsch. Here's their conversation. There have been a lot of ups and downs and trial and tribulations, and you've been through here since it went uh, public in the reverser with the in the reverse merger with the SPAC. Tell me now, what encourages you about the prospects for Nikola? Well, Jerry, first of all, it's great to see you. I think the timing is right for what we have. We have one truck with two powertrain options: a battery electric and a fuel cell electric truck, and we're on the cutting edge of decarbonizing long-haul transportation. And we're sitting here in California where there's a huge effort going on to basically clean up the ports. There are 30,000 trucks serving the ports in California. And starting in January, any new truck registered has to be a zero emission truck. And we are one of the leading providers of those trucks. If the fleet wants a battery truck, we can provide it. If they want a hydrogen truck, we can provide it. We're seeing green shoots all over the company. We're getting new orders for our battery electric truck, even though it's on recall. Our orders for our fuel cell truck keep going up. With the voucher program in California, we have 96% of all the vouchers for fuel cell trucks and 50% of the vouchers for battery trucks. So there's certainly demand for what we do, and uh, we're excited to be on the front end of it. Incentives and environmental credits are a big factor in this market, especially in California and in New York and New Jersey. When we look at this truck back here, let's just take California. I think you say that it kind of there's a list of something like $400,000 for it. Up to. Yep. So walk us through all the credits you can get and what a fleet would have to pay for this truck. So if you want a battery truck, the credits are around $120,000 for a battery truck. If, and there's some other add-ons, uh, IRA adds-on, you know, 40000 here or there. If you want a fuel cell truck, it's 240000 But if you are a small fleet and willing to scrap your diesel, you can get up to 400000 or frankly, over 400000 for uh, to buy a fuel cell electric truck. What type of customers have the most interest in this truck right now? Is it these small fleets or is it big fleets? I saw something today that um, Ray is... Cola, the big Cola, Coca-Cola distribution company, they just took delivery of 20 um, Freightliner eCascadias. That's, that's a big private fleet. Is that who you're talking to or are you talking to smaller people? Um, we're talking to both, big and small. Most of the fleets that serve the ports are smaller fleets, but we talk to big fleets as well. And everybody's dipping their toe in the water, so to speak now, trying this out, seeing how they work. I'll buy a few here, a few there, that kind of thing. We have 277 orders from 35 different customers, to give you an idea. Are those firm orders? Uh, they're non-binding orders, but they it's it speaks to the funnel. you know. So there's a whole bunch at the top, and as we get 
non-binding expressions of interest. They're going to apply for a voucher, and then we funnel them down. We give them an allocation slot, and we funnel them down into a dealer order. Do you see the biggest early use is a drage truck hauling containers from the port to, uh, of Los Angeles and Long Beach inland to the Inland Empire distribution centers? Is that going to be the big first wave? The ports are a prime opportunity for this because there's a big push to clean up the ports. So, because a lot of diesel trucks sit around the ports, it's, you know, emitting lots of carbon, so to speak, and putting zero emission trucks there is better for the port, it's better for the environment, and frankly, it's better for the driver. So I think the ports are a prime opportunity, but we're seeing opportunities in long haul too. So the plan is start in Southern Cal, move to Northern Cal, and then connect the dots. We'll have a fueling location in Ontario, which is off the port, and then we'll have fueling locations in the port, so you can feed out from the ports into the other, into Ontario, and then work your way up. The company still faces a liquidity crisis. You lost something like $400 million in the third quarter. You have, I think, $360-odd million of cash on hand. How, how do you get through that? How do you make that work without running out of cash to build this business? So if you look at the third quarter results, our cash was up, our burn rate was down, and our orders were up. So we were able to access the capital markets to raise more cash in the third quarter uh, that buys us some more running room. Uh, our burn rate was down, so we're mining our costs. And our orders are up, meaning customers are still wanting to buy our trucks. So going forward, we've made no secret, we'll still ha have to access the capital markets. But every quarter, we get closer and closer to a break-even quarter. How much more do you think you're going to need to get to break-even? I think we set around $400 million is what we need, plus or minus. Uh, but again, we continue to challenge ourselves to pay attention to costs and push the envelope on revenue. People want zero emission trucks. People need zero emission trucks, and we're one of the few people who can provide that. And we're providing value for customers. For this to be truly clean transportation, you need to have green hydrogen to run it. Much of the hydrogen now is made with a process that uses natural gas, which is a fossil fuel. So how are you participating in the development of green hydrogen? And where will your clients get that? Otherwise, you're just moving pollution around and you still have carbon emissions. Sure. So we are looking at a number of different sources. There's a lot of green hydrogen projects coming on. The federal government just announced $7.5 billion of incentives to support green hydrogen hubs across the country. And we're in touch with most of those players and additional players that bring green hydrogen on. You were on the leadership team at General Motors during some tough times. What did you learn from that period that you're applying to this project? It's important to have a plan, but it's important to be resilient. And plans don't always work. So once you're in the locker room and on the field, things change. And it's important to have a team that's able to adapt to that change. This team is super resilient here. There's been, like you said earlier, there's been plenty of ups and downs thrown at this team over the years. And they've responded, uh, which is amazing. So having that ability to redirect on the field is super important. Having a vision of where we want to get to is super important. And people who want to uh, are motivated to sort of run towards problems and expose problems and get that at them uh, is very important than uh, what we see here and frankly what we saw at GM at the time. One last question. How long is it going to take you to get to break even? Um, we said we will get to break even EBITDA break even sometime in 2025. Great. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Jerry.
Steve Gursky is CEO of Nikola. He spoke with our own Jerry Hirsch. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to our own Larry Valquette and Jack Walsworth for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on stock sales, vehicle launches, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Mobilize CEO Amnon Sashwa. So there, there's this kind of transition going from, you know, the basic driving assist of a front-facing camera to something much more extensive. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.